Guarding your heart. We've been doing this series on guarding our heart, and we're going to go jump straight in. You've got your Bibles ready. You've got notepads ready. We're going to, let's, let's get started. Mark chapter 9. Can you see that okay? Okay, cool. This is just after Jesus had come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He'd been, out, he'd been on this, this mountain and he was transfigured. He was along with Peter, James, and John. And he came off the mountain, and this is in verse 14. It says, And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Let's stop. I love it. Don't you love the detail? You know, I, I always try to visualize this, you know, that here's Jesus, here comes Jesus, there's the disciples, there's the great multitude, and there's the scribes, the religious bunch, arguing, disputing, you know, talking about whatever it is that they're arguing about. But just set the scene, okay? And immediately when they saw Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? I love the diplomacy of Jesus. Earlier on, it said that they were busy disputing. But Jesus is a bit more subtle. And he says, what were you discussing with them? And then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Now to me, that sounds like the guy, this, this guy, this father, is blaming not only the disciples, but he's blaming, he's blaming Jesus as well. You know, it's your disciples. They couldn't cast them, this thing out, so it's your fault. But he answered, Jesus answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And I was just saying, oh, faithless generation. Who's Jesus speaking to here? Because we, we set the scene. We saw the disciples, there's the multitude, and there's the disputing scribes, and this father is amongst them. He's part of the crowd, the great multitude. So who's he referring to? Is he referring to this contentious religious bunch, the scribes? Or was he, was he, was he addressing the, 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 this, this father, this desperate father who wanted his son to get, to get healed and delivered? Or was it maybe the disappointed disciples? You know, they couldn't cast this thing out of the boy. So who was he speaking to? Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So they brought him to him. They brought this boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, when the boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. It's quite a scene, though. It's like an epileptic seizure. So Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. This has been going on for a long time. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. This is a, this is a spirit that's possessed this boy. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. 
And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm just going to go back a little bit. The verse, um, when, when, when the father replies, he says, how long has this been happening to, to the boy, Jesus asks. And the father says, um, from childhood, and he says, but if you can do anything, the father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. It's like the father, the father seems unsure. He, he, it's like he's saying, I'm not quite sure where I stand with you, Jesus. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And he seems unsure. He's not sure whether Jesus is actually willing to heal. He, there's a lot of uncertainty about this father. And so the father appeals to Jesus' compassion, not to his power and his ability, but he says, if, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. So he's appealing to Jesus' compassion, not to his ability, not to his power. And I love the way, though, that Jesus responds. He responds with another question, with, with, a, with, with this, this response towards the Father. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible. Jesus is checking to see where is the Father's faith? Where is it? Has he got any faith? You'll remember the woman with the issue of blood in another book of the Bible, where the woman was, was, had been ill and infirm for 12 years with this issue of blood. And you remember when, when she, she's the woman that said, if I can just touch the, the hem of his garment, then I will be made well. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Your faith. It wasn't the power of Jesus. She, had, she drew on that anointing. She drew on that power of God. It was her faith that got her healed. She reached out in faith. And Jesus is saying to, this, to the Father, if you can believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, he said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He cries out with these tears. I think, are they tears of desperation? You know, this child's grown up like this since, since childhood. He's been manifesting and foaming at the mouth and having these fits where they're tears of desperation or, or frustration. Maybe they were tears of repentance. Maybe he realized, he came to, he, he came to the realization that he's been in so much unbelief and maybe this is the time for him to repent of this unbelief. But you know what? Maybe he, maybe he was just confused. He, he didn't know what he believed anymore. He says, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. It's like, what does that mean? So he recognized he had faith to believe for his child's healing, but at the same time, he had unbelief. And he possibly felt confused. How can I have faith and doubt at the same time? You know what? Proof of faith is not the absence of doubt. We'll get to that a little later. But this father had sought out Jesus. He recognized that Jesus had the power, he had the ability to heal his son, but he wasn't sure if it was Jesus' will to heal him. And we, the end of the story comes in verse 25. It says, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, 
he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, he speaks to the spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out. This was a mute spirit, but suddenly he's got a voice. The spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. <laughs> I, love the, I love the Bible. Isn't it wonderful? He became as one dead, so they all said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. He wasn't dead, he was healed, he was delivered. So we've, we've been going over the series on guarding your heart. Just as a little bit of a reminder, remember we started off about guarding our hearts from discouragement. And what's the antidote? The antidote of discouragement is to encourage ourselves, to strengthen ourselves, talking about believing Bible hope. Do you remember that? Remember that? Unforgiveness. Remember that one. What's the antidote to unforgiveness? Forgiveness. It's the, it's the foundation of the gospel. It's the foundation of the gospel. Offense, guarding our hearts from offense, walking in God's ways, staying on the right path. Do you remember last, a couple of weeks ago about don't get offended, don't get off the path. You know, we've got to walk in the same direction as God, walking in His direction and at the same pace. Trusting an, a trustworthy God, how we need to trust a trustworthy God. And today we're going to look at guarding our hearts against unbelief and doubt. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. What does that word deferred means? Hope postponed. If, you, if you've got a hope, but it's been postponed, you're not seeing the, the result of that hope, it can make the heart sick. In fact, one translation says, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick. When you're disappointed and disappointed, and disappointed, it leaves your heart sick. So when hope is deferred, it means that there's this long delay, a prolonged delay between the promise and the manifestation. It's a bit of what we're going through here in this church. There's the promise, Isaiah 54, stretch forth, and then there's the delay. But we're going to see the manifestation. We're going to see because God is faithful. So this is, but this is where the antidote needs to kick in because our hearts can become weary. So the antidote for deferred hope is faith. And Hebrews, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 11, sorry, Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the substance. It's the title deed. Faith is what is the currency that we hold on to for what we're hoping for. And so throughout this, this account in Mark chapter 9, we see this dichotomy, we see this dilemma, we see this presence of faith, and we also see this presence of unbelief at the same time. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. In Romans chapter 12, it's not going to go up on the screen, but, but maybe take a note of the scripture, but in Romans chapter 12 verse 3, it says that God has dealt to every believer, okay, because the book of Romans was written to believers, and he says God has dealt to every believer the measure of faith. The measure. There's a level playing field. The day you get born again, 
faith arises in your heart. That's how we are saved, by faith, through grace, no, through grace, by faith, whichever way it goes in Ephesians 2. But it's, the whole gospel message is um, worked out by faith. We have faith in God, have faith in God. And it's not a matter of that, well, I have faith and you don't. Or, no, there's a level playing field. Each one of us is given the measure of faith. But it's up to us what we do with that, with that measure. That measure can stay as it is, and we can go through life with that same measure. But that's not the purpose of that faith. The purpose of faith, everything in the kingdom of God works of seed. It's seed, time, and harvest. Everything in the, in, the, in the kingdom is seed. So he gives to us the measure of faith, but it's up to us to increase it. It's up to us to work that faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we walk by faith. That means there's an action. We walk by faith. We live this thing out. We don't walk by sight. If we're walking by sight, I can say, well, they've stayed away in crowds today, that's okay, but I'm not walking by sight, I'm walking by faith. I see this hall filled with hundreds of people. I see people getting set free, I see people getting saved, we see people getting healed. That's walking by faith. We look with the eyes of faith, with a heart of faith, but we need to grow our faith. We can't just walk around with the measure. That's not the way God intended for us. In fact, there's a scripture in 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, it says that your faith grows exceedingly. Not just a little bit, exceedingly. I love the language. So everything works by seed principle in the kingdom. During lockdown, we did a series on... <gasps> bless you. <laughs> we did a series on um, faith, and we spoke about this mustard seed faith. And you know, the mustard seed is the smallest seed. It's tiny, tiny, minute. And the, but the purpose, and you know, and it's true that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Bible says you can speak to this mountain, you can say, be removed from here and cast into the sea and it shall be done. That's how much faith you need. But that's not the purpose of the mustard seed message. The purpose of the mustard seed message, the analogy is that that seed doesn't remain small, it grows. It's to grow, because he goes on and he says, when mustard seed faith, when that seed is planted in the soil and grows, the birds of the air can come and nest in the tree that that little mustard seed produces. So we've got to put our faith to work. It's like a muscle. It's like a muscle. Uh, uh, um, Steph was doing his, his stretches earlier. He, he's been doing work around the house, and he was stretching, and he would, he's been putting his muscles to work. He was surfing all of last week. He was putting his muscles to work. So um, our faith, in the same way, can grow like a muscle. But sometimes we can be disappointed at our level of faith. You know, we might think, ah, you know what, I'm not quite where I want to be in my walk with God in terms of faith. And I can really, um, I can really sort of identify with that guy in Mark chapter 9, that Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And if that is you, 
I don't want you to feel discouraged in any way today. This message is meant to encourage you, okay? So, um, but we're going to look at what causes our faith to decrease and unbelief to increase. Faith doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just like one day you've got it and the next day you don't. It doesn't happen like that. Faith deteriorates. It gets buffeted. It gets eroded. And, you know, it's a lot like a sand dune. You can't actually draw a map of sand dunes because the wind constantly blows that sand around and the dunes are shifting constantly. You know, any desert region, they'll tell you that the, the dunes are shifting. And you look at a country like the United Kingdom, this island, that's surrounded by sea, and all around the UK, they are busy building sea defences because you'll see it quite frequently. There goes another house just swept away because the wind and the waves have eroded into the land over years. It can take years of erosion. And it's the same way with our faith. Our faith can get eroded by trials, by that disappointment, by that hope that is deferred. Our faith can get eroded. It can get buffeted. You know, I think of the Apostle Paul, who said that, that a messenger from, of Satan was sent to buffet him. And that word buffet means to strike repeatedly to wear him down. It wasn't just a one-off. It was this repeated, repeated, repeated onslaught by the devil against the Apostle Paul. It's like that, you know what it's like when a tap is dripping? Drip, 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 drip. Man, it can drive you nuts. It's like Chinese torture. That's, but that's what it's like. It's constant dripping that can just suck the life out of your faith. It will erode your faith. Faith can be eroded by not being in the right environment. Bad company corrupts good character. And the same, be careful who you hang around with. You know, the spirit of faith, we were always taught, we come from Rhema Bible Training Center. It's faith, okay? Faith, 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 faith. And one thing that we were taught is that the faith message is caught more than taught. You catch that spirit of faith. And so if you're hanging around people that have that spirit of faith, you catch it. It's, it's contagious. It's wonderful when you're around people and they say, praise God, you know, we're blessed coming in and we're blessed going out. Yes, hallelujah, brother, that's good news. But in the same way that the spirit of faith is contagious, so is the spirit of unbelief. Be careful who you hang around with. Be careful who you hang around with. When people start, well, woe is me. We're all going to go on the rapture bus one of these days. Well, yes, but praise God, he's given us life in the here and now. Let's enjoy our lives, okay? But the spirit of faith is contagious, but so is the spirit of unbelief. And another cause of our faith to erode is busyness and distraction. And that's not so much about losing our faith, but I'd say it's more about misplacing it. It's about misplacing it. You know, it gets covered up with distraction and busyness of life 
It just gets, and what we need to do is just unravel our lives a little bit, and um, just in order to retain a little bit of balance, isn't it? So mustard seed faith, we've looked at that. When, it, when exercise like a muscle, even mustard seed faith, it can grow over time, but in the same manner it can be eroded over a time. So you can have that mustard seed faith and it can grow, but then if you don't keep at it, that faith will diminish and, and it will reduce back to the size of the mustard seed. That's not the way that we meant to be. You know, in, in that account in Mark chapter 9, we saw that this man's faith had been eroded over time because that boy had been suffering from epileptic seizures. He was muted since childhood. So this guy's faith, he possibly started with good faith, but it had been eroded over time. So faith can be eroded as disappointments accumulate because that's when unbelief creeps in. It creeps in. It's subtle. It's so subtle. Now I'm going to surprise you guys with my science, my knowledge of science. Johnny, listen to this and learn. Okay. <laughs> the second law of thermodynamics. Did you know that I knew this? Okay. <laughs> the second law of thermodynamics says that entropy always increases with time. Are you impressed? Okay. I, Tell you, Google is amazing. <laughs> entropy always increases with time. And entropy means a gradual de decline into disorder. In other words, that which is left to itself will die. That's the second law of, that's it in a nutshell, okay, it's not the scientific formula for it, okay, but it is that that which is left to itself will die. I mean, just think of your garden. You know, those that have got a garden or a little plant box or something, if you don't take care of your garden, somehow the weeds come in and they take over. The thistles, the weeds, the brambles, they'll take over. That which is left to itself will entropy, if there's such a word. But if you take care of your garden, if you take, you know, get rid of all those weeds on a daily basis, pull out those weeds, pull out that stuff, your garden will flourish, it will grow, it will look beautiful, it will produce flowers, fruit, vegetables, whatever it is that you're growing. Entropy always increases with time. But in Hebrews 2 it says, we must give the more earnest heed, we must pay close attention to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Pay careful attention to what you've heard, lest you drift away. And that's the same with, that applies to our faith. We've got to pay attention. It can be eroded when we stop nurturing it, when we stop taking care of it like that garden, when we ignore it. And it's one of the most important aspects of our Christian life is faith. You know what? We can't come to God based on our good works. That's not what saves us, only the blood of Jesus Christ. But we receive the blood of Jesus Christ by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Our good works don't please him. They don't even, he's not impressed, you know, with our good works, but our faith is what pleases God. I can't underline or emphasize this enough about the importance of guarding our hearts against 
unbelief. We've got to do it. You look at the Old Testament. First person that comes to mind is King Saul. Remember, King Saul, he started off as the good guy. He was a good king. But what happened to him? He stopped following God. He decided that his ways are better than God's ways. And they resulted in his demise and his downfall. He became full of unbelief, disobedience, self just concerned about himself, and he had a hard heart. Saul turned his back on God. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit departed from Saul. The Holy Spirit departed from Saul, and the kingdom was taken from him because of his unbelief. He thought his ways were better than God's ways. That's a severe warning, isn't it? Peter, in the New Testament, one of Jesus' closest friends. The Bible says that Satan sought to sift him for a, for a season. Satan sought to sift him. And that buffeting that Satan sought to sift Peter with is what caused him, his faith, to be eroded. And he denied Jesus three times. But I love what Jesus said to him in Luke 22. He says, I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. That your faith, I've prayed, Jesus prayed this for Peter. He said, I'll pray that your faith should not fail, and when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And we know that Peter was restored by Jesus. Remember, be, breakfast on the beach, and Peter was restored. And you know, he wrote two books of the New Testament, and to this day, he strengthens us. When we go and read 1 Peter, 2 Peter in the New Testament, that word inspired by the Holy Spirit continues to this day to strengthen us because he, he was restored. So doubt doesn't disqualify your faith. Doubt doesn't disqualify your faith, but we need to walk through those doubts to get to the promise. Like the father of that mute boy, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. The proof of faith is not in the absence of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the means to overcoming. Faith is the, it's, it's the currency by which we overcome. 1 John 5 verse 4, if you have one scripture you, you must learn today, 1 John 5 4, verse 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We use our faith to overcome. It's not just a hope, it's not just a prayer, it's our faith. This is the victory in, in which we overcome the world, our faith. And I can think of so many examples of this, one of them from the Old Testament again, in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew boys, King Nebuchadnezzar, I've been practicing that name all week, King Nebuchadnezzar um, had a golden image built, and he insisted that everybody must bow down and worship this golden image, but these three, three Hebrew boys, they refused, and they said in Daniel 6, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, from the fiery furnace, because King Nebuchadnezzar, there we go again, said, if you don't 
worship my golden image, I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace. And so they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God, but we worship the king of kings. So this is, we, our God is able, but even if he doesn't, we, it, it won't make a bit of difference. We will not serve your golden image. Faith and unbelief in the same sentence. Incredible. Another account, Luke chapter 1. It was beautiful. I was reading this, and I thought, oh, just in preparation, coming up to Christmas, the account of the conception of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, his conception. The account of Mary being visited by an angel. And this angel comes to her, and I think, oh man, imagine hearing, having a visitation of Jesus coming to you and saying, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Oh, come on. Wow, what an incredible um, announcement. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he goes on about and he describes about Jesus and Mary's response. How can this be, since I do not know a man? This is this pure virgin. She comes to the angel with her questions in the midst of this conception of our Lord and Savior, Mary. Her question, she comes with a question, and I think her question is quite logical, and it's valid. It's okay. You know what? I don't understand how this is going to happen. I've, I'm a virgin. I don't know how this is. I know biology. But how's this going to happen? You know, maybe there was an edge of unbelief. I don't know. But I think she had the right to ask those kind of questions. And you know what? It's okay to come to God with your questions. He's not rattled by your questions. But I love the fact that the angel actually answers Mary. You know, he doesn't say, well, we'll see about that one. No, no, no. The angel's quite clear. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And I think, and so how, what does that look like? You know what? This has never happened before. What, what's her terms of reference here? There's no terms of reference. But what does she say in the midst of these questions? She says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me. I don't understand this, but nevertheless, it's not my will, Lord, but yours be done. She surrendered to the Lord in the middle of her doubts, in the midst of her unanswered questions, and she consecrated herself to the Lord in the midst of it all. You know what? Maybe you're in a similar situation. Okay, maybe the angel hasn't appeared to you this week, but maybe you're in the midst of a situation and you're waiting on God. You've got, God has given you promises, but you're not seeing them. Your heart is getting sick. Hope has been deferred. You, you trust in God. You believe in God. But you've got these questions. There's this unbelief. There's doubt. And I think it's, it's so important to, re, to realize 
that the proof of faith is not in the absence of doubt. It's not in the absence of doubt. But the problem comes when faith is decreasing and unbelief is increasing and we're getting out of balance. When we start approaching God and his word with skepticism, then we're in trouble. So we need to guard our hearts against unbelief. So how do we do this? How do we guard our hearts from unbelief? Mark chapter 9, the father said, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Help my unbelief. It's mine. I own it. It's mine. The father owns it and he takes it to God. And we need to do the same. Help me in my unbelief. When you realize that unbelief and doubt is louder than your faith, acknowledge it. And I think, and own it, and ask God to help you. But I think the first thing that happens, and it happened to me this very morning on our way to church, and Chris reminded me of my message. (laughs) But the first thing that happens when you realize, ah, I've got a bit of doubt, I've got a bit of unbelief, condemnation, Ah, you see, you shouldn't. You went to Rhema, Rhema Bible training said You should be a woman of faith. First thing that condemnation comes. Don't allow, don't, you know, don't allow yourself to be condemned, but don't become complacent either. Acknowledge where you are, acknowledge it, but ask God to, to help you and take action. If you recognize that it's an area of your life that's lacking, that that you're in unbelief, go to the Word. In that area, maybe it's finances, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's it's a thorn in your flesh that somebody just bugs you beyond, beyond anything else. Go to the Word. What does the Bible say? Walk in love. There we go, there's the answer, I've got a word for you. Walk in love, walk in forgiveness. But, but get, get into the Word, but not just get, the, get into the Word, get the Word in you. Get the Word. Let the Word become flesh in your heart. But there's no condemnation from God, so stop condemning yourself. Condemnation separates us from God. It's like sin. It separates us from God. And condemnation will peg you back and hold you down. How dare you be in unbelief? How dare you? No, can't go into guilt. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. The other thing that the father did, well, he didn't do it, but the point is stop blaming others. If you're in unbelief, stop blaming others. The father blamed Jesus. Jesus is your disciples. They couldn't help me. It's your fault. Maybe he even had an argument with the scribes. I don't know. But the point is, don't rely on man. We can't blame everybody else for the situation we're in. You know what, I've never seen anything like this in all my life. I've been saved for 30 years, and the number of people that are walking away from church. Why? They're blaming the church for every single problem in their lives. The church did this, the church did that. No, they it's not true. Stop blaming others and stop, you know, just stop it. It's, I'm, not, I'm preaching to the choir, you know what I'm saying, you guys are here. But stop blaming the church for unmet expectations. 
God is your source. We come to church to worship God. There's only one name in this church. His name is Jesus, and that's it. He is our, he is our source. So stop blaming the pastor. Stop blaming the, blaming the church for any unmet expectations. Stop blaming other people for your lack of faith. Get into the Word. Don't lose your faith in Jesus because you've lost your trust in people. Put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. You know, throughout this whole message, I love, in, in Mark chapter 9, that account, I just love Jesus' tone throughout that whole message, that passage. There's no condemnation. Jesus asks the right questions to get the right result. He could have, Jesus could have come and argued with this man and argued about faith, where's, you know, about unbelief, about doubt, about condemnation, all these types of things, but Jesus didn't. He cuts to the heart of the matter. The father's unbelief and the, ultimately the boy's deliverance and healing, that was the heart of the matter. The, the man's unbelief and, and the, the, the boy's deliverance and healing. But in the midst of that, in the midst of the unbelief, in the midst of the healing, in the midst of the unbelief, Jesus performed a miracle. Even in the midst of the doubt, even in the midst of the unbelief, Jesus performed the miracle. Doubt does not disqualify your faith. So maybe today you're in this dilemma. Your prayer to God today would be echo this, this Father's prayer. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What the Father did was he invited Jesus into the place we had the greatest doubt and the greatest pain, and that's where Jesus healed him. And I want us to invite Jesus into the same place in our lives today. Invite Jesus into the place where you have your greatest doubt and where you have your greatest pain and allow him to heal you. Let's pray.